0: I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James in chapter 4. We have a theme for these evenings. And the theme is how to have more of God. How to have more of God. Let's read the first 12 verses. James chapter 4. Weigh every word. Don't dismiss any word. But when you hear the strong words here, don't worry. Okay? Because God is with you. But somehow I want these words to have impact. And we need to remind ourselves that the New Testament contains such words as these. What causes quarrels... What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. That was a good time to say amen. Amen. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Speaks evil against the law. And judges the law. But if you judge the law you're not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Who is able to save And to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you want more of God? Well, one of the things that I will say tonight is that if you and I want more of God, then we have to learn to win the battle within. If I were to ask you, why do you want more of God? One of the answers that some people might give is because I want to feel good. You want more of something that makes you feel good. But there are many things that make you feel good, many, many things. But not all of them are good. Only God is good. That's why we want more of him. See, there is a hunger in each and every one of you. Trudy was testifying to that. And this is one of the hallmarks of these early days where we sense God drawing nearer. The closer he gets, the more we want. The more we want, the closer he gets. The closer he gets, the more we want, and so on. But have you ever considered why it is that you desire God above all things? This desire is created in you, supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit. And that is what makes us different when I speak to many of my friends who don't yet know Jesus. There sometimes is a little bit of a desire. I know that they're seeking, but they don't yet know who they're seeking. But the secret of the desire of the Holy Spirit, not only does he put that desire in you, but you know who you are seeking. You're not going here or there to this religion, that religion, this self-help book, that experience, this promotion, that situation. You know that it's a desire for God. It's based on knowledge. It's based on the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And it's because you know that God is the ultimate reality and therefore the ultimate good. But we also have other desires. And this is a statement of fact when he says in verse 1 that your passions are at war within you. I think one of the hallmarks of a true believer is somebody who is aware of the conflict that's going on most times people aren't aware of that they think that their desires are natural but you and I know that on the inside there is a struggle a battle James calls it a war and uh, these desires have the capacity to overcome you to overpower you don't think that can't happen If you yield to desires, you feed them, and those desires can be strong. In fact, every single time when you and I sin, or fall, or whatever, however else we want to put it, in whichever way, either by being irritable, ungracious, judging, criticism, or anything else, every time that happens, it's because we have allowed this desire of the flesh to overcome us. The desires of the flesh can never overcome the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all powerful. And that's why the Bible says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's an encouragement. But all the more important then for us to have a look at how we can flip direction and how we can somehow allow the fleshly desires to take root and bring forth unsatisfactory fruit in our lives. What's interesting to me here also is that James is very, very real. He says you have desires, you seek to have those desires fulfilled And yet you remain unsatisfied. You remain unfulfilled. And therefore you are frustrated. And that's how he begins. He says, where do these quarrels come? It's because you are trying to follow the desires of your flesh. You're unsatisfied and you are frustrated. And, And this is the root of all conflict. Unfulfilled, egotistical desires. That's the root of all conflict. It's the root of all conflict in all relationships. In marriage relationships, conflicts come as a result of unfulfilled egotistical desires and we turn against the other person and blame them or try to shift the blame from ourselves to them. I think it's very, very important in this church and in this ministry that we recognize the supreme importance of unity Never let the devil put a piece of paper between us. Now more than ever. Because it is good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil. And it's not just likened to the anointing oil. It's the result of the anointing oil. And it's the preparation for more anointing. When we join together in unity of spirit, in unity of heart. And a unity of purpose. And there at the end of that Psalm 133 which I'm quoting. It says for there the Lord commands the blessing. And we want him to command the blessing over us. So be careful who you criticize. Be careful who you attack. And allow the Holy Spirit to keep you in the spirit of grace. So answers answers. James says ask God if you have desires and God loves to satisfy the desires of our heart of course the ones which are good and the ones which are right and only he can fill so therefore he says ask ask is a great invitation ask and tonight we're asking if we want more of God how many know that that's a good desire it's a good desire that desire has been given by God he grants you that desire and then he grants what that desire desires so ask God why not why not wait this isn't a formal service we're just beating together in in the presence of God we're seeking God is that right we're seeking God ask God ask him for more right now just stretch out your hands make it real as you know, I'm not preaching. I haven't got a voice to preach tonight. I'm just talking to you. Here we go. Ask God. God, this is a desire. We want more of you. How do we get more of you? We ask. We ask. We ask. God, will you give us in this church more of you? Amen. So he says, ask God. Turn to God. Look to him. But he says, oh yes, I know what some of you are going to say. You say, I've asked and I haven't received. Well, then he says, check it out. Because the chances are you're asking wrongly. You're asking for your own desires. Egotistical prayers go no higher than the ceiling. Don't even reach that high. So here we have it. Verse 4 is the bottom line that he's talking about. If you want more of God then you need to be prepared to, be, to make the world your enemy and to be an enemy to the world. Now, by this, he's not talking about the world that God loves. The world that God loves is the world of people. He's talking about the world which is a system, a system which, in which the enemy operates. He's the prince and power of the world of this age. So he said, you, you've got to let that go. And know this, know this, that friendship with the world is automatic enmity with god all right stay with me go with me take go where i want to lead you tonight of course only the holy spirit can do that but hear me again i truly believe that if we go through this door tonight the door of humility the door of repentance in a solemn assembly which is this which this is rapidly becoming then there is no telling what's on the other side of that door but we have to have to begin here in this week this week so the bottom line friendship with the world is enmity with god and then he goes on to talk about double mindedness so you see there in verse 4 Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And yet, none of us is saying, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be an enemy of God. Please help me become an enemy of God. We're not saying that. We are here because we want more of God. Right? But the problem is double-mindedness. That's the problem. And, and this is what presents, prevents you from having war of God. And the word he uses here is the word adultery. Verse 4. You adult, adulterous people. You adulterous people. It's strong language. Just thank God that James is not your pastor. <laughs> you adulterous people. Now... Let's allow the scripture to speak. Um, It's easy for, you know, a gung-ho preacher to say, I'm going to eradicate sin in the church. And they preach against sin. But they sometimes can do it in a fleshly way. Let, Let the scripture speak. God's words are spirit and life. You adulterous people. And spiritual adultery is one of the most common problems that we face as believers. What, what do I mean by that? What does James mean by that? What he, what he says here basically is you want God, but you want the other as well. You want to have your cake and eat it. If this, there's a kind of spirit of deception, there is a, an illusion that the enemy has fabricated before our eyes. Let me tell you the truth, which you can see for yourself. It's not possible. If you want God, you cannot have the other stuff. And how does it happen? The Bible never quite used this distinction, but it's clear in the Bible. There are certain sins which are open and obvious and fleshly. And we're very good at preaching against the fleshly sins. If only I was in a different kind of mood. If only I was in a kind of really, really, you know... A, a strong mood to preach and strongly and, 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 and to make you tremble I've certainly got the voice for it tonight but there are other sins They are the sins of the Spirit not, not the Holy Spirit but they're the inward things and this is what happens this is why your life is so important. If we want to make disciples, we have to be a, be disciples. doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're facing the right way and we are dealing with this and, and we are winning the battle against the flesh, the battle on the inside. What happens is that somebody comes to Christ and their life is obviously very different. And you can list all the obvious things that you might associate with, um, you know, extravagantly sinful living. Most of those things will be the sins of the flesh. And, and that's very immediately, that's a no-no. And uh, they come into a congregation of people and, and pretty soon those things, with your help, drop off. But they, they do notice that there are other sins which are accept- acceptable. Pride. criticism. I was witnessing to a young man um, from Brazil and this young man had an auntie who is a Pentecostal preacher and it's amazing and he goes to the church. He sings a solo occasionally but he goes to the church because his auntie is his benefactor and he knows if, if, he, if he pulls out of that, he thinks his auntie won't look after him anymore. So he goes along and listens. And he says his auntie is a wonderful preacher. That's not a bad compliment from a non-Christian, isn't it? Wonderful preacher, great preacher. But there are other preachers who come. And he notices every time they go home to have dinner after the service and another preacher has been there. The auntie says, well, very good message this morning, but. And after the but comes faint praise. You know, you can damn people with faint praise. Not bad for a beginner or something like that. And then some words of criticism come constantly. So this young man says, there are certain sins that, are, I, I, that you know, we'll be condemned for. Like this is sins I'm committing, they condemn me for those things. But, but what, what about this? What about that kind of negativity? What about that kind of jealousy? What about that kind of criticism? The inability to honor. The inability to say thank you. The inability to encourage. And, and these things are serious in the eyes of God. So there's a double-mindedness that's happening. How else does it manifest? It manifests in things like, well, okay, a Sunday is for Jesus. Now, I know I'm on safe ground tonight because tonight's Wednesday. Some Sunday is for Jesus. And my workplace is my workplace, and that's where I am. That's what I do. And don't expect the church to get any more of my time. And they think it's normal. Because if you take the spiritual temperature in the average church in Great Britain, it is normal. But it's not normal with God. It's not normal in the kingdom of God. So that is a form of adultery. If your profession, your family, your career, your pleasure, your ambitions, in fact anything at all legitimate some of these things and good in their own proportion but when they become out of proportion and take the place of God so that you become useless to God you will not serve him you will not open your heart or your home you will not speak about him you will not do anything that causes you inconvenience because you are a normal christian That's spiritual adultery. One of the main reasons why some of our men and women are not serving God through the cell vision and doing everything that it calls us to do, which is to win souls for Christ, consolidate them in the faith, train them into leadership, and release them into the harvest field. The whole thing, one of the main reasons why it isn't happening with some people as it should is because they are spiritual adulterers trying to have their cake and eat it. Now, I'm not trying to come on strong and I certainly don't want to breed any condemnation here. But I want you to know the truth so that you can be set free. Because the truth sets you free and the truth leads you to the grace of God. And I believe this will prevent you from having more of God. Then there is this remarkable statement where we are reminded that God is not a metaphysical iceberg. He's not a monolithic brick, cold and hard as stone. God is emotional. Did you know God has feelings? And he describes one of them here. He says, oh, do you not know, verse five, do you suppose it's to no purpose the scripture says he yearns over the spirit jealous. he yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us yes, that's remarkable God is jealous and guards jealously what he's put in you and yearns over it What is this yearning, this jealous yearning? He is yearning for fruit from your life. He is yearning for the response from your life. He's given us everything. But we still have to choose. And tonight we're going to renew our choices. We're going to renew our covenant before God. Now maybe even at this point, James is thinking, though he's speaking by divine inspiration, oh boy, maybe I'm coming on too strong. Maybe I'm crushing them with these true but strong statements. But then he says, oh yes, I know, I will remind them of the grace of God. So he says he yearns jealously, but remember this, he gives more grace. Now this language is stunning. I mean, surely grace is grace. Are there levels or degrees of grace? Well, yes. Because where sin abounds, grace overabounds. So God has still yet more grace to pour into our lives. And that grace is available tonight and you're going to receive that grace. And by grace, I don't just mean you're going to have a pardon because you are already forgiven. I'm not just saying you're going to feel your conscience cleansed. We are going to come before Jesus and ask for a fresh cleansing and a fresh washing in His precious blood, which is continually available. I'm saying that there is a grace that is available to break the power of sin operating in your life grace to rise above the lower levels into a higher level. Not so that things cannot touch you. But you know, when you rise higher with God and higher in the things of the Spirit, your spiritual perception is sharpened. You see things for what they are and you look at sin, the sin that used to entice you and say, "Uh uh-uh, no way, ugly. No. Jesus, beautiful, sin, ugly. Amen and amen. That's what will happen. And a, a, a fresh power or a, A fresh experience of the power of God will work in you by the grace of God and you will walk in with ease. I think I found the word. You will walk with ease in the things of God. And it's the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit that allows you to walk smoothly with ease in the things of God. So more of God. Okay, how do you get this grace? Submit to God, resist the devil. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist. This is why I don't believe in effortless holiness because there's something for you to do. Submit and resist. Don't try to resist until you've submitted because until you've submitted, you will have no mind or power or strength or will to resist. When you submit to God, in other words, you agree with him. And that's true confession of the word of God. Acknowledging, saying the same thing that God says and not just saying it with your mouth, but saying it from your heart because something has happened and you realize a wonderful, strong thing has gripped your heart and you want God more than anything else and you want more of God and you're prepared to submit to him absolutely and get it. Again and again, with my non-Christian friends, there comes a moment when it's very, very clear that they do not wish to submit to God. That's what they're struggling with. Why should I let him tell tell me what to do? I am my own man. I am my own woman. I am my own boss. And and this, this independence from God, declaration of independence, it's your right because he's given you free will but just because you exercise your right doesn't make you right. And so he says submit to God. Resist the devil. Then he says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is, this is wonderful. And it's, it's very important that you in your life as indeed us as we seek to teach and preach and demonstrate this is to be for you to be God focused not sin focused let me do an experiment with you Uh, it's not a mind game it's just a simple psychological truth so if I tell you Do not think of the number three, 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 three. Don't think of three, three. Stop thinking three. Stop thinking three, 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 three. What are you thinking? Three. But if I say to you, don't think three, three, three. Think seven, seven, seven. What what number is going through your mind? Seven. It's It's not hypnosis. It's just a simple thing. Okay? So what you want to be full of, that's what you focus on. And, and a lot of holiness preachers preach only about sin and they like to identify sin and say, and have you so conscious of sin in your life that you're paralyzed and can't move? The only time you need to be conscious of sin is the time to forget it because God has forgotten it. And so you turn to God and in turning to God, you've turned away from the sin, of course you have. And it's, it's important and right to come before God and say, Yes, Lord, I've displeased you in this, but I turn to you. I put it behind me. And here's this wonderful promise. You want more of God? Here it is. If you want to take nothing away but this, take this away. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. It's a promise. An unbreakable promise. And you know what? We're drawing nearer to him tonight. That's why we're here. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded, verse 8. So again, it's that spiritual adultery. What's a pure heart? A heart that is wholly set on him. And then he summarizes the whole thing in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will exalt you.